0: This is a Lodestar Podcast, created by MK & Associates, and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform,
1: Hello everybody, I'm Mike King and welcome to another episode in the Stars Big Interview podcast series and I have a question for you, does anyone out there know Hapag Lloyd? I sort of bet you do because even if you're not in shipping you've seen their ships or the containers and in fact I get this podcast analytics and I know most of you are their customers, their rivals or their suppliers. Hapag Lloyd is, of course, the world's fifth-largest container line with global market share of just under 7%, according to Alpha Alphaliner. And this interview is well-timed, because the venerable Hapag Lloyd is 175 years old this May 2022. Yes, you heard that right. Hapag Lloyd was shipping cargo almost unbelievably and passengers to New York in 1847, when Queen Victoria was on the British throne and the US was at war with Mexico over Texas. And this one really blew my mind. Napoleon had only died 26 years before. Today, we'll be asking Hapag Lloyd what's in store for the next 175 years and how they are managing the chaos of the here and now. What are they doing to help shipper customers and where will they be spending the windfalls of the last two years? Answering these questions are not one, but two of this historical but sprightly carrier's leading executives. We have Dr. Ralph Belusa, Managing Director for Digital Business and Transformation and a TED veteran on Space Treasures of All Things. Hello, Ralph. Hello. Thank you for being here. And in their first interview since joining Hapag Lloyd after a high-flying career with IBM and Bosch, We have executive board member and chief information officer, Donya Ama. Welcome Donya. Hi, Mike. Thanks for inviting. Hello, both. Hello. Donya, to you first, if we may, Hapag Lloyd is now 175 years old, but you only joined the company and the board in February this year. Since then, if we're looking at disruptions to container shipping We've got so many things going on. We've got stop starts of the export supply chain out of China due to COVID lockdowns. We've got a looming crunch on the US West Coast where a new dock workers deal is under negotiation. Of course, we've got this terrible war in Ukraine. And all this after a pandemic, which has thrown the world and its supply chains into, I guess, a demonic flux. So I guess the question is, how are you finding liner shipping so far? Is it keeping your attention?
2: Yeah, well, my... Yeah, first impressions. How do I find liner shipping so far? I mean, as you mentioned, I have a history in industry and in IT as well, but the last two years, really the world is more or less upside down and it doesn't matter which industry you are, nothing is that it was before. So uh, joining Hapag Lloyd for me was an absolutely fantastic step going forward because uh, I am now part of a company with, with the oldest history of ever company I worked for 175 years. You so just mentioned it. Our birthday is right around the corner. But on top of it, I think Hrnberg for me is a company which is the most global company I've ever worked for. So we have more than 137 countries we are operating our business um, and we are shaping our sustainable logistic future together with our teams in an even more connected world. And what I like most in half I've noticed is really, this is a company with an extreme open company culture. So we have our values and we live up with the values, like we care, we move and we deliver. And that's what I see and feel here every day when I talk to our people and when I also had a chance to talk to some of our customers already. So within IBM, it was a data-driven culture. And for for Robert Bosch, the company I worked the last five years for, it was a culture of technology invented for life and now it's a it's really a culture of connecting the world and connecting people with all our logistic supply chains with all ups and downs you're facing today in the market
1: we'll be coming back to some of those points do including how you're connecting the world and, and how that's working for your customers and also your sustainability plans but if i may turn to ralph you've been in this business a little bit longer if i may say so And I know you've had a chance to speak to Hapag Lloyd's archivist, a a head office in Hamburg. In your research, have you found any historical precedence for this level of chaos over the last 175 years of Hapag Lloyd operations? I mean, that's certainly a period that covers a few tumultuous events. Yes,
0: wonderful. Thanks, Mike. That's a good question. So as you mentioned
1: that as a shipping
0: company with 175 years of experience, that's naturally we have seen and successfully managed Some major shifts in the markets, in technologies, in the society, unexpected changes and disruptions. So it's really the change is ongoing. And as you mentioned that with our historians, if we look into the company history, just to mention a few things. So we radically altered our corporate policy with move away from the passenger trade after the cholera epidemic, so to say, or the loss of the entire fleet during the first and the second world war. So really changing our business many, many times or the impact on the financial crisis in 2008. So this is really a changing world and it's ongoing, but we were not here to celebrate our 175 years as hapagloid, if we have not demonstrated our capabilities, experience really to adopt, to change and to all the events
1: like this. Let's look at the here and now, if if we might, Uh, we've had, two years of record profits for the top container lines during this pandemic, with the latest forecasts suggesting a collective $300 billion or so due this year. A lot of this is due to high rates because of all those disruptions, poor congestion, et cetera. Although from a liner point of view, obviously, there's also been an effective strategy of blank sailings at various times, et cetera. Now we've heard liner executives in the past say that the only way out of the current scheduling and equipment mess is lower demand for services so these bottlenecks that have built up especially at ports can be ironed out essentially consumers should stop spending if they want their products on time is that how you see it and it's perhaps that's what's happening now as the cost of living crisis bites thanks mike so yes as as we all know that really the
0: covid-19 pandemic and all its implications are causing many of the current disruptions along the transport chain, as you mentioned, particularly with the ports, the terminals, the hinterland, the trucks, the rail, and so on, or example for a lockdown in Shanghai. So thereby limiting transport uh, capacities and supply, that's really one side, but also the other side, as we know that the current customer demand has significantly really gone up in many, many markets due to COVID. And that's why we have to adapt to that and thereby. It's important that we have initiated many countermeasures initiatives for our customers to solve and get some relief. Um, And I just want to mention some of them, like optimizing our transport infrastructure, hinterland connections, terminals, but also um, adding capacities. As you have seen that also in the press with many more boxes, so to say, or the additional vessels to really adding up our capacities and also Further initiatives and countermeasures here of ease the pain, but on the other side, really to help our customers. That's why continuously ramp up and improving our digital solutions, adding it capacities and workforce to make the business as easy as it gets for our customers.
1: Just looking at the ebb and flow of trade. Now, I don't know some of our listeners mightn't be aware of how we look at the container line trade, but in a, in a traditional year, we would have a mini peak in demand for Chinese New Year as exporters try and get their uh, shipments out before uh, factory closes in China. Then we would tend to have a lull in the second quarter, and then it would build to the peak season when people are restocking inventories ahead of the, the holidays in the fourth quarter. Now, in the last two years, uh, various liner executives have, have looked at that Q2 based on that traditional demand and thought, this is when we get a chance to get our equipment and ships back in order where we can get those schedules back on track on network reset. That's not happened due to the nature of COVID demand, as you just mentioned there. Is that more possible in 2022? Because in this Q2, we've seen a slight dropping off on freight rates, but we've also had these closures in China due to COVID lockdowns. Is this helping you reset networks?
2: Is it helping us? That's a fair question. I mean, first of all, capacity and space, they are there. So for sure, we, we have severe operational challenges, especially with terminals still being the main bottleneck as just mentioned. And this is causing disruptions and delays along the entire transport chain, what we are facing today. So shipments are not as reliable as they should be. And that's something we are pretty sure about it. And we understand also that this is a challenging situation for our customers, especially, I mean, the industry we are in from, like automotive, they have just in time uh, production. And if you are not a reliable partner. And you can't be as precise as needed to be just in time. It's really hard for them to do their business in a proper way. That's why we have our best interest really to ease our customer's pain and to make life for our customers even easier. We are implementing at the moment, and we already implemented a lot of countermeasures. For example, corner port emissions or also the rerouting of cargo. If ports like Shanghai are closed from one day to the other, we are doing the utmost to re-route our cargo. But also things like, for example, shipping guarantees is something what we really offer to our customers to give them a better chance to planning. And finally, uh, new digital solutions where Ralph and his team is deeply involved, like Creekwood Spots, for example. What we, what we are facing today is really that uh, you can never take anything for granted. So what we really see is that we are all hoping and, and expecting that liner uh, shipping goes back to more normal slowly. But as ports are getting closed within a, within a moment around the world, like for example, we're facing this challenge in China, but on top, we also see significant uh, disruptions in terminals, like for example, Hala here in Hamburg, but also in the US. We are really looking forward to bring it back to normal. if We're doing our utmost also together with, with other container liners. But you can't take it for granted that it will happen because nobody ever imagined what has happened in the last two years. So that's something where we are trying our utmost to go back to a normal business environment, where we also have more transparency about where our containers are. But overall, it's really hard for us to give a robust outlook at the moment. We only can uh, do with the current environment and our current information status. Looking forward that it will come back more to normally by end of this year.
1: So these lockdowns happen so quickly, it's hard to strategize. It's just a case of managing that disruption.
2: Yeah, absolutely fair. And otherwise, it's uh, if you're not agile enough and if you are not flexible enough to react on these kind of really big disruptions, you are in big trouble. That's why we are doing our utmost to support whatever we can for the quality of our customers and to really deliver the containers as expected, but if there are uh, restrictions from governments, for example, because ports are closed, we have to react. Otherwise we don't have a chance uh, to be a sustainable partner also for our customers.
1: I know many of uh, your customers would like more reliable services and that's not just related to HAPAC, Lloyd, that's across the line aboard. board. But at that, the lowest though, we speak to shippers and smaller forwarders uh, a lot. And many of them, when they're talking about container shipping, They're not necessarily complaining about high rates, even though they find them difficult to swallow, but quite often it's a case of actually just securing space, irrespective of the price they are willing to pay on particular trades, particularly on the Asia-Europe trade, in fact. Some of your rivals have been quite open about their strategy, which is to focus energies and space on the largest shippers and forwarders. And some even have said that they want to sell direct to shippers full stop in the future. Now, where does Hapag Lloyd fit into this, if I might ask? Are you still courting SME shippers and forwarders with a view to a future where the demand supply equation looks a little different and they're still important customers for you? I
0: think all customers are important on all sides, the small customers, the medium-sized customer, the large customers, because there is the demand and we would like to support it help our customers in all aspects, on the quality, on the delivery, and so on. With ease of doing business, that's really at our heart. This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK & Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform, which tracks more than 1 billion shipments annually for over 1,000 of the leading brands, including top companies in manufacturing, automotive, retail life sciences food and beverage and oil chemical and gas using project 44 shippers and carriers across the globe drive greater predictability resiliency and sustainability
1: back to those record profits i mentioned earlier many of your peers are investing heavily in their logistics footprint does Hapag lloyd have ambitions to offer more than Port to port liner services, maybe you're looking to start an airline like some of your rivals?
2: Well, that's a nice one, Mike. Thanks for asking. I'm a big fan of Focus, I have to say. So, and uh, the core business of Hapag Lord, at least when I decided to join this company is container shipping. That's where we are best in. That's what really drove us to become 175 years. But for sure, we have a naturally demand in growing our business even further and to expand our business. And that's what we did, for example, with mergers Uh, recently with Deutsche Afrika Linie, but also with terminal investments like Wilhelmshaven. These are all for us critical and important investments. But as I said, um, focus for us is container shipping. That's where it is deep in our heart and where we come from. Nevertheless, investments on top, for example, in digital solutions is something where Ralph and I and the entire team hub looking for even further to grow our footprint in the market. We have a sustainable strategy and we have something we call it prepare for tomorrow. It's our strategy to ensure that after 175 years, the current generation within the company still supports and is doing their utmost to support growth for us and to hand over a better Hapagloid company to the next generation. That's why we are simplifying our processes. That's why we are strengthening our portfolio, but still around our core business and why we are investing in our people and capabilities. Again, big focus on container shipping. But when realistic enough, uh, especially out of IT and out of automotive, that I would never ever take anything for granted. But at the moment, when you are asking me, our focus is container shipping and everything which makes our life easier, definitely the life of our customers is in um, focus.
1: If I may just follow up on one of those deals that you mentioned, I'll uh, just expand out on it slightly for our listeners. Because a number of carriers uh, are, have been making investments in Africa, uh, just the Europe, taking the European container lines, we've had Maersk agree to JV for logistics services, Grindrod MSC has hugely boosted its presence in Africa with a deal for Balore Africa, which is one of the biggest logistics deals we've ever seen. You guys, as you mentioned then, Donya, bought Deutsche Africa Linien or DAL in March. I think you said that better than me. And a Nile Dutch, which is a West African line, last year. Is this a new scramble for Africa amongst the container lines? I mean, Africa is a growth market for us, no question about it,
2: not just for us in general, Africa is a growing continent and they are stepping up these days. That's why we as Hubback Lord are investing in acquisitions like Nile Dutch and, in the, you know, as they say, I can pronounce it maybe better. It's called Deutsche Afrika Linie DAL. So these are for us uh, our big bets in where we would like to see also growing our trades, but on top of this kind of investment, we also invest in equipment like vessels and boxes, for example. And the next, what we are uh, investing at the moment are ports and terminals, terminals like Wilhelmshaven for us, most critical at the moment. We definitely would like to increase the uh, quality for our customers with our investments, like Quickwood spot. We mentioned our digital solution that customers have a better experience in doing booking with us and overarching something which is close to my heart. And that is an area where I invested the last two years heavily in is sustainability. So we are really trying to reduce our carbon intensity by 30% until end of this decade. So in the next couple of years, until 2030, we will reduce our carbon footprint down by minus seven, uh, 30%. And I think we are quite brave in communicating our goal to be net zero by 2045, which is even faster than as then expected and demanded. So yeah, Africa for us a big, big bet, but not the only one. Other bets definitely are sustainability, which is also not part of our longer strategy and
1: our prepare for tomorrow activities. You mentioned there, Donia, some of those targets. Uh, so just clarify those. So that you're planning to reduce fleet emissions by 30% by 2030. Yeah. And you aim to be climate neutral by 2045. How are you going to make sure that this is transparent to your customers. And how do you plan to invest to achieve those cuts? And is, and is 30% by 2030 really enough?
2: As ocean carriers, I mean, in general, we do have a big responsibility in combating our climate change. And before I work in automotive and companies like Robert Bosch, for example, they announced already to reach this kind of carbon net zero by 2022 in their production line. For us as ocean carriers, we do have different challenges. Um, we are facing the challenge, for example, That we have to make sure that uh, the fuels, for example, we are using to run our vessels is available and uh, is accessible. And we do have enough around the world to really um, operate our vessels and our, our container ships. We do have 90% of all goods worldwide that are transported by ships, so we can make an impact here. However, our ships only account for less than 3% of the global CO2 emissions. So that's also something you should keep in mind when we think about the impact of our industry. We drive decarbonization and that's important that the entire industry is joining forces here and we are pulling together. It's nothing just one company can do on their own. We are really facing a challenge here of infrastructure, of uh, the accessibility as I mentioned before, and we also need more and more science to figuring out alternatives. There's no one big bet at the moment we can count on. We have different, uh, several options at the moment in the market, how you can tackle the challenge of climate change. So biofuels, for example, for us is something which is at most important, and we are working together, and especially Wolfhab Haben Jansen, our CEO, he's part of a framework called the Six Pathways to Zero Carbon Shipping. We are we are, we are investing expertise and insights really to take this challenge together with other uh, container liners.
1: The key question here, Donya, is it, are there going to be enough alternative fuels available to make these emissions cut to work?
2: If you ask me today, the answer would be no, definitely not. I mean, we need first of all, more green electricity to generate these kinds of fuels, and then you have to make sure they are accessible. It's quite comparable what you see at the moment in the automotive industry with electro electric vehicle. Everybody is saying we need more electric vehicles, but nevertheless, we first need an infrastructure which is reliable and accessible. And also from an economy point of view, it needs to be payable for the users. And the question then is, what are you doing with all the batteries when they pass their lifetime? So the same discussion goes on for ocean liners and for shipping. How can we make sure we do have a proper infrastructure in place? How can we join forces? How can we also force science to invest more in figuring out what is a good solution? Is there just one big bet for all? Or do we have alternatives at the moment? Can we figuring out any other disrupting technology we never thought about it today? So it's a big bet at the moment and a lot of companies investing and in Hapag Lloyd is doing their utmost to play a vital role in this game and really be part of the discussion and leading it in many ways.
1: Excellent. Thank you, donya and, and Ralph, COVID lockdown saw many industries adapt and adopt digital technologies to improve productivity. That was also true in shipping freight and logistics. I, I, I presume it would be your view. Is there no turning back now from a tech-driven future? Thanks, Mike. Interesting question. Yes, so... Well, we see technology really
0: as an enabler to better serve our customers. That's the core. And it's not only just simply improving productivity. It's really better understanding our customer needs. And in the end, we see technology really positive because it's an opportunity for our customer-centric approach. And that really means ease of use, transparency, efficiency. And as you can see that over the last years and so on, we connect really our customers on multiple online and offline touch points, but also internally working with the latest tools, with 365, with Microsoft Teams, with such modern tools on all the different kinds of angles in technology. And we will further really extend our digital product offerings and solutions for our customers, as mentioned with quick Worlds, quick World spot, shipping guarantee, additional free time, but really in the end, we see technology really positive because it's helping us in the customer-centric approach, make our lives with the customer much easier to fulfill our quality promises. And we will see technology as an enabler to better serve our
1: customers. Hapag Lloyd announced in late April an investment of $250 million in tracking technology for your dry container fleet of 1.6 million boxes. Is this part of this uh, digital investment strategy? Yes, so the,
0: we are in the middle of an intelligent transformation. So where smart usage of data and emerging technologies, such as you mentioned with the blockchain, or just mentioned a few, they will play a wider role in all our businesses. So there is no end to digitalization. It's even accelerating. And we see the future is really automated, personalized, optimized. Let's call it easy and transparent for all employees, customers online and offline. And that's why we're continuously investing in our digital products and solutions to meet all the customer needs and
1: offer the benefits to our customers. Finally, we started this interview by discussing Hapag Lloyd's 175th anniversary. What does Hapag Lloyd or indeed container shipping look like 175 years from now? I mean, does it, does either even exist? Absolutely.
2: I mean, yeah, I'm brave enough to say yes, because we overcame a lot of challenges that last 75 years, but for sure, my, nobody knows what's what's coming next. But if you can't arrive and myself, we are really standing for shaping together a sustainable, logistic future in an even more connected world, which should give us a push and the, the chance at least to overcome, first of all, the next decade, then maybe the next 25 years and we're doing our utmost for many directions, not just digital solutions, but also investing in our people and in, in the way we are, would like to deal with customers and our customer experience. We're doing our utmost really to give the next generation of Hapag Neutler a chance to be as successful as the current generation is at the moment. So that's why. Yeah, we do our bet on several activities we mentioned today in today's call. As I said, the world's still upside down. I truly trust that still shipment and container shipping is the most sustainable way to transport logistics from A to B. That's why we are really investing not just our time, but also our passion into this business.
1: Donia Arma, Dr. Ralph Belusa, thanks for joining me on the Lodestar podcast today. Really appreciate your time and all the best in the future.
2: Thank you, Mark.
1: Thank you, Mike. I'd like to thank my editing team, the amazing Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. Big thanks also to our sponsors, Project 44. And gratitude to you all, of course, for taking the time to listen. We'll be back soon.